You are listening to an Enoch Pratt Free Library podcast. Your journey. Your journey. Your journey. Your journey starts here. Here. Of OBGYN at Georgetown University. And we brought in a large group of 
women, they all had moderate, severe, what we call dysmenorrhea, mental health. And half of them, we asked to start this diet, and the other half started uh, a supplement, really a placebo, a gummy pill, um, where they thought they were getting something, but they really weren't. And then two months later, they switched. So the diet people began the supplement, the supplement people began the diet. And the whole point of this was to see if this diet really would actually work in a placebo-controlled clinical trial. And it did. The Journal of Obstetrics and Gynecology published our findings. And to make a long story short, pain intensity was greatly reduced. And it was shortened. And not only that, the PMS was changed, uh, was improved. And all these things got a whole lot better. And when you think about it, how many women have not only uh, menstrual cramps, but other menstrual symptoms that are treated only by drugs, or only by surgical procedures or whatever. And nobody talks about maybe how diet could have been part of the cause and part of the cure. Well, the reason for that is it's not immediately obvious why asparagus would help with cramps. So we're going to walk you through that in just a minute. Um, but before I do, one part of this study was that we asked our participants not to have any hormone medication. Because my hypothesis was that this diet would change women's estrogen balance. And if they were taking uh, hormones, like birth control pills or something, it would goof up our study. So we asked all the women, if you're sexually active, please use some other kind of contraception other than the pill. And one of the women in the study said, don't worry about me. She and her husband had given up the idea of having a baby because uh, they had tried and tried and tried and, and they just couldn't get pregnant. We've both been evaluated. It's not him, it's me. I don't ovulate. Forget it. We don't use any kind of contraception. The second one that she was on a vegan diet, she came into the research center and she said, I've got some, I got some bad news, I got some good news. I said, Well, what is it? Um, I'm leaving your study. Because I am pregnant! Uh, and she gave birth to a perfectly healthy, happy baby, and then another one, and a third. And this is a woman who thought she was infertile and had been declared so by her physician, uh, but obviously was simply out of balance. Okay, so what the heck are we talking about, and how could food do this stuff? And if food affects those things, maybe it will affect even more serious things than cramps and infertility. Okay, so hormones are letters. They go in the mail. So um, your ovaries, your ovaries make estrogens that go to the uterus and get ready for pregnancy. With me so far? Um, a man's testes make testosterone that make him want to run for president. Um, <laughs> or um, wear ill-fitting clothes or the other kind of things that testosterone will do. Um, so if you can run into trouble by either having too few hormones or you can also run into trouble by having too many hormones. If you're communicating just too much to the uterus, you're going to have trouble. Okay, so at the beginning of the month, a woman has very little estrogen in her blood. That's the left side of this curve. She has, estrogens are hormones that make things grow. And there's a whole group of them. There's estradiol, estrone, estriol. I'm going to just lump them together. We're going to call them estrogen. Beginning of the month, there's very little. Then, about two weeks into the month, the amount rises and it falls because she has now ovulated. The ovary is releasing an egg. Over the next week, the uterus is the most optimistic organ in the body. Every month, 
It is convinced that we're going to get pregnant. So the amount of estrogen rises and thickens up the lining of the uterus in anticipation of a blessed event. A week later, the disappointed uterus discovers <laughs> we're not pregnant again. And so the amount of estrogen falls, and then everything is flushed away and the flow, and then start all over again. So the point is that foods change all of that. Foods can change your, the amount of estrogen in your body. So this is the uterus in the middle, and the ovaries on the side. And what normally happens is that that lining in the middle, the endometrial lining, thickens up a little bit like that. But then if you are eating in a certain way, and you have too much estrogen, that thick lining gets too thick, and it makes nasty prostaglandins that hurt. Okay, you with me? So while, while Robin is talking to me on the phone about I'm miserable, I'm thinking, okay, inside your uterus, you've got an overly thickened endometrial layer, it's making too much prostaglandins, and that's what is killing you. And it also, they also go to the brain, these, these mischievous prostaglandins that make you feel just out of focus. Um, so, all right, then the question is, how do I use foods to fix this? Um, the first way to use foods, I'm going to illustrate with Catherine. Catherine grew up in Louisiana. She was in the Air Force for five years. She was one of the first people in Iraq in 2003 because she designed the military, the Air Force bases over there. Um, when you're in a war zone and you're eating what the government provides, um, and you're working really hard, you don't gain any weight. But when she got back home to Louisiana, her friends all said, when you were in Iraq, what did you really miss? Because we're going to go out and we're going to dig into food. And what she really missed was cheese. Cheese, mac and cheese, cheese snacks, cheese, all kinds of stuff. So her friends took her out to places where they had cheese, pizza, and everything. And one friend, gave her an entire case of 48 packs of little She ate them one a day for 48 days straight. Yes, yes she did. And she gained weight. But not only that, she also developed some symptoms. She started to get pain in her abdomen. And the pain was worse with her cycle, but it never just, it never went away. And it was getting worse and worse and worse and getting to the point where she could barely function. Her doctor said, we've got to do a laparoscopy to, to look inside and see. You make a little incision below the belly button, you put in a little scope, and you look around. And the doctor said, okay, obvious. You've got endometriosis. Endometriosis is a condition that causes terrible pain and it causes infertility because cells that line the uterus have escaped. They're going up the fallopian tubes and escaping, and they're implanting all around the abdomen. They're implanting on the ovaries. They're implanting on the fallopian tubes and strangling them. And they, they swell each month and it really hurts. Um, and it also can uh, lead to infertility, as I said. That was a situation. So she tried medical treatments, hormonal treatments, nothing was curing this. And there are many women who have this condition, I'm sure this audience, you, you may have it or know somebody who does. Um, the doctor said, well, we've got one last ditch thing we can do. We can do a hysterectomy and you're going to be done with this. And she said, well, my husband and I are newlyweds and we haven't raised a family and we're kind of hoping that maybe we could care. But the doctor said, you're infertile anyway. This is going to make you feel better. Okay, fair enough. 
They scheduled the surgery for six weeks from then. But in the interim, she decided to just see what might happen with the diet change. She went to see a nutritionist. And the nutritionist gave her exactly the same advice that I had given years earlier to Rob. Here's this diet. You take the animal products out, keep oils really low, and see what happens. And she started to feel better. And week by week, she had more energy, and she lost weight, and she was improving bit by bit. But six weeks came due, and she dutifully reported to the operator. And the doctor, they anesthetized her. The doctor made an incision. About an hour later, she woke up in the recovery room. And the doctor looked at her and said, Robin, I'm sorry, Catherine, um, I didn't do it. I didn't do the procedure. You still got to do this. Because your endometriosis is effectively gone. And her mother is sitting there in the recovery room with her. And her mother says, she went vegan. <laughs> Listen, foods do not cause endometriosis, and there is no way that a diet change is going to make this work. There's only one explanation for this. This has got to be a miracle. <laughs> so the in the chart. Um, she never had the procedure. She still got her uterus. Um, she uh, has three children in the town. And she joined us at one of our future life instructors. Um, and she, uh, she has a session in Dallas on where she teaches other women to take back their health. Okay, so, all right, now I mentioned cheese. I've been talking about hormones. Cheese has hormones in it? Does it? Like Velmita? single year, you'll maximize the milk output. So nine months out of every 12, the cow is pregnant, and they are milked during their pregnancy. A, preg a non-pregnant cow makes estrogen. A pregnant cow makes a lot more, and it gets into the plasma, and then from there it gets into the milk. When you sit and take a pail of milk from a cow, send it to a laboratory, and they'll tell you how far along in gestation that cow was. You take the milk, turn it into cheese, give it to your six-year-old son, seven-year-old daughter, and every single bite, has estrogen in it. Is it on the label? Did you ever hear this? You're eating it. Okay. So the question is, could this really affect us? You know, some dairy farmers have asked the U.S. government for permission to label their cheeses or milks as hormone-free. Because what they mean is they're not injecting bovine growth hormone. The FDA will not allow them to say that because they know that there is no hormone-free dairy. It always has estrogen in it that came out of the cow, pregnant or not. As long as you're drinking milk, you are drinking bioavailable estrogen. I'm not cheering you up. <laughs> so, so will this affect health? Uh, researchers looked at men. Rochester, New York, they went into a fertility clinic and they took sperm samples from men and they compared them to how much cheese they ate. And it turned out that the men who ate the least cheese had the best sperm count, the men who ate the most cheese had the lowest sperm count. And you also look at sperm morphology, meaning the shape, and motility, meaning can they swim straight? And we find that those things are affected by cheese as well. Now, the amount of estrogen in cheese are just tiny. It's very little. But your average guy eats 35 pounds of it, or 36 or 37 every year, plus ice cream, plus milk, plus yogurt, plus the dairy products baked in the cookies. And you're getting dosed with estrogen, and plus, 
You already had the amount of nature you kind of thought you were going to have. So you're pushing it up. Now, okay, guys, don't go to sleep. One other thing. <laughs> Hank arrives at the doctor's office. He says, I'm having trouble with my, my, my nature. And the doctor says, you're nature. And he, he's looking for a euphemist. He says, Doc, I can't raise the flag, okay? And so, uh, so the doctor says, I get it. Well, let me give you a Viagra prescription. And this is going to work for you. So the guy takes the prescription, walks out the door, thank you very much. And if he's a good doctor, at that point, he will drop his hand, slap his hand against his forehead, and go, oh, I forgot. And he's going to run out and try to grab the patient before he goes down the elevator and say, come back, sit down. I forgot to tell you the most important thing. You can take the Viagra if you want to. But the reason that you have, you, you have erectile dysfunction, it's not performance anxiety that you've got. You have atherosclerosis. The patient says, I got what? He says, you've got narrowed arteries. See, the, the male sexual anatomy is a hydraulic system. Okay? It, it, it was obviously devised on a Monday. Things are going wrong with it all the time. But you need, you need good blood supply for the... Are you okay? You need blood supply for the, otherwise it just doesn't do same. So Hank has got narrowed arteries to his private parts. The doctor says to him, this is your problem, but this, you also have narrowed arteries everywhere, including to your, the coronary arteries to your heart. The carotid arteries to your brain. You're going to have a heart attack or stroke. You're at much higher risk than other people within a matter of a few years. So you can pick up your Viagra prescription, but before you leave the clinic, I want you to sit down with the dietitian because we need to reverse your atherosclerosis because that would kill you. All cardiologists recognize now that erectile dysfunction is the canary in the coal mine of the heart attack that is just right down the road. And it should be malpractice to hand out these pills without giving the patient the diagnosis and the treatment, which is a diet that has no animal fat and, or cholesterol in it, because that will open those arteries up again. You know Dean Ormish's work with heart patients, showing that you get the animal products off your plate, because that's the only place where cholesterol is. You get all the animal fat out, the arteries open up again. And we see as one of the most common side effects in our research studies using vegan diets for diabetes or weight loss, is that erectile dysfunction is good, too. Okay, all right, so, note to self, skip the cheese. Um, what else affects our hormones? Oh, sorry. I don't, I think some people over here have oh. a little hard, hard time. Do I need to start at the beginning? <laughs> what do you think? Okay, all right, all right. Um, if you have trouble, I'm, I apologize. If you have trouble hearing, you give me a, a hand or something like that. Well, okay, can you hear now? Okay, all right. Um, so what else affects our hormones? Um, your body has a way of recognizing that you've got too much estrogen on board, and it has a way of getting rid of it. And the way it does that is through fiber. Here's, fiber's a boring word, don't go to sleep. This is important stuff. Um, fiber is plant roughage. Beans and vegetables and fruits have fiber, okay? So your liver, that's the red thing top. Your liver filters excess estrogen out of your blood. It sends it down that green bile duct into your intestinal tract. And there, fiber grabs a hold of it, and it goes out with the waste. You're literally flushing away your excess estrogen. That's true for men and women. Here's the problem. Let's say I had chicken. Oh, still too quiet? Yeah, there's some problem with the transmission. I have to 
Well, that's a phone thing. Can you, can you hear now? No? All right, I'm doing my best. Okay. All right, Bridget. Barbara, is this okay? Is that all right now? I don't think I'm going to get any more interested with you. Joke the bottom of the thing above. I'm sorry. This way. You want to like this? I should have known that's the secret. How about this? Okay. Okay, is this better? Yeah. <laughs> does that look good? I think so, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. One of them does it. Okay, um, so maybe this will work. Yeah. Did you get my jokes at least? <laughs> All right, so Fiverr. This is the most This is all right. We'll check back in a few minutes. All right, so the liver removes the estrogen from the, from the bloodstream and it sends it into the intestinal tract. But if you had salmon for lunch or chicken, how much fiber is there in those foods? Why not? Because they're not plants, right? Okay, so there's got to be plants. If that is the case, you know what happens? The estrogen is not attached to the fiber and it is reabsorbed back into your bloodstream and ends up back in the liver. This is called enterohepatic circulation. You have just too much sex hormones uh, going through your blood hour after hour after hour after hour that it causes mischief. So, here's the quiz. Spam. Fiber or no? No? Trash can okay. Um, KFC. I can't hear you. Oh, all right. It's going to come too. Now, there are some things that started out as plants, but they took the fiber away. So the fiber gone? Yeah. All right, five. Okay. So let's see. Don't eat cheese because it has estrogen in it, and eat lots of fiber. That means plants. And if I go on a completely vegan diet, then everything has fiber in it. Now that means balance. Okay, good. All right. Um, if I haven't cheered you up enough already, let me say one other thing about dairy that's kind of frightening. This is Daniel Kramer at Brigham Women's Hospital in Boston. He looked at fertility in several different countries. As you probably know, fertility declines as women pass from, say, their 20s through their 30s. Um, a woman is 22 years old, and she's, she's maximally fertile right now, but she's thinking, wait a minute, I just got out of college, I'm starting my career, this is not the time I want to raise a family. So she puts it off, and when she's about 36, her mother calls her up and says, your clock is ticking. It's, gonna, it's true, her fertility is falling. So Kramer went to Thailand, and Thailand has a drop in fertility between the late 20s and late 30s of about 25%. Is Thailand a country where they eat ice cream traditionally? No, it's more plant-based than not big dairy country. In Brazil, a little more dairy, a little more cheese, and the drop in fertility is about 50% as women pass into their fruit. In the United States, it's a drop of about 80%. And if you add all the other countries to the map, the picture is not perfect. But you get the idea that the more dairy in the diet, the more women lose their fertility as, as they pass year by year. 
What Rainer decided this was, was probably not estrogen, something else. But the biggest nutrient in milk is not protein. It's, I'm talking about the most uh, quantity-wise. There's something more than protein, more than calcium, more than fat, more than fat. The lactose, the lactose sugar that, that some people can't digest, they are normal. That is a good idea to not digest it. Back in, before 1965, that was like a disease. Lactose intolerance was a diagnosis. And now we realize that lactose intolerance is the absolute biological norm. It means that when you were breastfeeding as an infant, um, you could digest the lactose sugar, break it apart, and, and absorb it. But then after the age of weaning, those enzymes go away. Because who would ever think you're going to drink milk after the age of weaning? Well, anyway, it turns out that there's a mutation that allows many people, particularly Caucasians, to continue to digest this stuff, and that puts them into trouble. Because when you digest it, it breaks down to galactose and glucose, and the galactose is the problem. It appears to be toxic to the ovaries. So in nature, a child would be exposed to galactose only for those months of breastfeeding, and really not after that. There are very few food sources of it other than dairy products. But we have this peculiar thing that you want to drink milk from a cow for your whole life. Mother Nature scratches her head every day thinking, what are you thinking of? Um, so infertility is an issue. But a bigger issue is ovarian cancer. And the more milk women drink, according to the Swedish study, the higher their likelihood of getting ovarian cancer. The, the theory here is that the galactose is toxic to the ovaries. Okay, so what about breast cancer? Well, estrogen is molecule there, but it can see into that breast cell, and once it's inside the cell, it can go further, it can get into the nucleus of the cell, and it can attach to your DNA, and when it attaches to your DNA, it can damage it, causing a cancer cell. Now, I know that's a funny thing to think, that your own estrogens could do that. All hormones are toxic in ovaries. That's true of insulin, true thyroid hormone. You need a little bit, you do not want too much so if you have too much estrogen in your blood, in this case estradiol, you're at a higher risk of cancer. This is postmenopausal breast cancer, and it, it just goes right up. You need to have your body be in balance. So would a diet change help me? Let's say not not, not even preventing cancer, but let's say I eat high fiber foods and I avoid animal products and not eating cheese and so forth. Would that help me if I had been diagnosed with the Women's Intervention Nutrition Study, or WINS, asked exactly that question. They had more than 2,000 participants, and they asked them to go on a low-fat diet. It was not quite vegetarian, but it was very much in that direction. Lots of vegetables and fruits and getting away from animal products. And what they found is that even those modest changes cut the likelihood of cancer coming back in, in patients previously diagnosed. It cut the risk of cancer coming back by 24%. And whether it was estrogen receptor negative or positive, in both cases, there was protection. So what we believe is that regardless of what your age, if you follow the diet that gets your hormones back into balance, it can protect you against a wide range of conditions, some of which are annoyances, some of which can kill you. So researchers have also looked at where the dairy products can affect a woman after diagnosis. 
And this was a study in California looking at women previously diagnosed and treated for breast cancer. And they found that those who consumed the most high-fat dairy, I'm talking about whole milk, uh, butter, high-fat cheese, they were 49% more likely to die of their cancer compared to women who stopped eating those things or they reduced them after diagnosis. So it all fits this pattern that we need to get our body in balance. Did you know these things before? Have you heard about this? No. It's unusual, isn't it? Um, you do hear sometimes people talking about soy. Do you hear that? Yes. Like soy is good. What do you hear? Gives you bamboo. What? Gives you bamboo. What? You never heard that? Soy gives you You've got a gas pedal. 
Which is heavenly gas pedal or what happens? Car goes, right? Is there another pedal in the car? Which is the acoustic brain. And if you say, yeah, what happens? You have estrogen receptors that are alpha receptors, and you've got beta receptors. And this one version attaches to beta to cancer prevention. So the well-meaning, but ill-informed oncologist who says to a woman, you have breast cancer, are you needing more soy you? You have just condemned that woman from a child with body of mortality. Which is why I, or many other doctors, think that doctors should learn something about nutrition. Am I wrong? At least in some people. So is this true? 
And it just had been my school forever. It's a huge population of teetotaler, non-smoking people who vary in life. It is a wonderful ability to compare them. And it turned out that the people at highest risk of hypothyroidism are lacto-ovo-vegetarians. No. So they're not eating meat, and they're replacing it with lots and lots and lots of cheese. And the people at the least risk are their vegan friends who say, get away from all that dairy, you're doing a lot better. Now, for hyperthyroidism, the vegans still do the best, the lactobos are the next, and the omnivores do the worst. Okay, so we are now starting to formulate this theory that autoimmune reactions like thyroid disorders can be modulated by food. And indeed, they can. If you know anybody who has asthma, or a child who has asthma, run, do not walk to a completely vegan diet. For many of you, it will have a dramatic um, for, for many of the disease. Um, Lumetronidase, disease, try completely healthy diet. Okay? Uh, this slide, Mike is a neurosurgeon. He's in North Carolina. And when he was about 45, his TSH level was rising. TSH is thyroid stimulating hormone. When you're hypothyroid, your body needs more TSH to try to push the thyroid to get with it to do a little bit more. And his TSH rises to that sign that your thyroid is sluggish. So his TSH level was going up and up and up. And after five years of every year being lower in thyroid, his doctor said, Mike, face it. You've got a disease. You know, you're not invisible. You've got hypothyroidism. Let's treat this. He said, wait a minute. He went on a completely healthy design. And his TSH fell back to a normal level. And he didn't think he was really aware of it all suddenly now that he didn't need. And his energy went back to the thyroidism. So we have now seen many, many cases of this, but there has not yet been a double one trial or a randomized trial. Which I think you need at this point. But if you had to have thyroid surgery on the robot, you're going to try to see what happens. Okay, and if I have a little time, I just would like to talk about one last hormone, and that's insulin. Uh, in in 2003, uh, the NIH gave my industry team a lot to test a new diet for diabetes. And the conventional diet is and the new diet is normal products, minimized forms. And to make a really long story short, what we found is that blood sugar improved much more on the diet side. This is hemoglobin A1C, which is the test we use to measure blood sugar control. And it should be below 7 if you have diabetes. And the red line is the control group following the conventional diet. And it improved about 0 0.4 absolute percentage points, which is quite good. That's what it would be do. But the blue line is the people on the plant-based diet, vegan diet. And it improved just threefold better on this diet. So how does this, what does this look like in person? This is Vance. Vance was a producer. And then he went to the bank. And when he came into the study, he said, diabetes to me means you're going to lose a means you're blind. Well, what do you mean? Why, why do you say that? Because his family members all had diabetes. This is what I've seen. Nancy's father was dead at age 30. Nancy was 31 when he was diagnosed with diabetes, and he became a CS in his late 30s. And he was randomly assigned to a vegan diet. And as time went on, 
Well, the first thing he said, he said, this is actually the easiest diet I've ever imagined. I said, wait a minute, thanks. People don't think that vegan is easy. I mean, it means you have to acquire a taste for folk music and wear clothes and become a philosopher and that kind of stuff. And he said, look, previous diabetic diet said that I've got to count carbon grams and I've got to count calories. And then I can only have 1,500 calories a day, which is not enough to fill my comic pain. And by Wednesday, you're ready to eat so much stuff. But I can look at the vegan diet means you don't have meat, you only 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 have <laughs> Which is, for any doctors in the audience, five or three years. That is normal. And when I got advances last uh, so <coughs> in 2003, I kind of saying was, once you're diabetic, you'll always be diabetic. And it's kind of a mean thing to say, but I knew it was taken seriously, but the rest of your life, you've got to watch this, you've got to do fingertips, you've got to understand how many people say this is what you're going to live with forever. So what diabetes will always be diabetic? Here's a man who had diabetes. All the doctors are going to say he himself clearly had it for years. But he was on medication. He's had an absolutely normal life. And he could walk to any clinic in the world and he would not diagnose with diabetes. So my question is, can I tell that you don't have diabetes anymore? It sounds ridiculous now. Because we've seen huge numbers of people who are diabetes. But we didn't know this. Um, let me show you how it works. This is this is a muscle cell, and this is being glued up. The reason I'm showing you a muscle cell is that glucose powers your muscles. Blood glucose, blood sugar, it's there to get into your muscles and give you power, just like gasoline powers your car, and and it also powers your brain and it powers your breathing. But there's the glucose; it can't get into that cell without insulin. So the insulin key. Attached to that red receptor. You with me so far? Okay. The insulin key attached to that red receptor and it's going to signal, this is called insulin signaling, it's going to signal those funny little channels to bring the glucose <coughs> into the cell. So here it There it is. There's glucose coming into the cell. If you have type 2 diabetes, you've got insulin, you've got receptors, and all that is normal. What is causing the problem is those yellow blobs. That's the effect. Fish fat, olive oil, extra virgin olive oil, extra extra virgin olive oil. <laughs> fat from the food you eat is built up inside the cell, and as it builds up in the cell, it stops the insulin from being able to function. Now, the doctors eat a little fat because it only has one syllable, you can't go for that, so we're going to call it intramodular cellular and that's the fat inside the cell. We have shown that you can. With a low fat vegan diet, how much animal fat is in a vegan diet? There isn't any. If I could eat oils, really, really low, that fat drains out like a garbage cheese. We work with Jerry Shulman at Dick Peterson at Yale University, where they have uh, magnetic uh, resonance spectroscopy machines. It costs $2,000 test, but our patients go there and they stick them into the scanner and we measure their intermodular cellular fit, then they go vegan for 16 weeks and we send them back and it drains out. I want to say something. My father grew up in the cabinets, as did my grandfather, and his father and my 
itself and self feedback, and anyone to know himself. And he became the high vision expert for our young people. And every day he would get home from across the clock and sit down on his back. And I never once heard him say that a single patient with diabetes ever got better. The whole purpose of his practice was to try to keep your vision for as long as possible, to prevent an amputation, to encourage you to understand how to use your needles, to make sure you're diving up to your children as soon as possible, and start your treatments. Nobody had the expectation of releasing these disease because they didn't have much standards. I mean, they didn't know what a DVI was. And they didn't, they never heard of it from audio cellular. Well, today we have that. But I submit that if you don't have to go a primary care doctor, they may not know this as either. Despite the fact that our research was funded by the National Institutes of Health and published by the Tiny, uh, by the American Diabetes Association, presented at their conference and were screaming with a megaphone about this, and patients with diabetes are left without any knowledge that they so this is really important. Um, I'm going to give you just one quick story. Anthony Salvador was president of this hospital in Philadelphia. And he was a good doctor. And every year he needed an annual exam to put his chest x-ray. So he had his chest x-ray. Uh, went back to, to uh, his administrative office. I don't want to write you. It's a very Tony, I don't like your chest x-ray. Come back down here. So Tony thought, well, I probably moved. Uh, we'll do it again. He gets down there, and the actually is clear. There are densities all over it. A doctor knows that if there's a little thing that looks sort of like a thing, it's not, there's a little dying over here. That's starting to look like metastatic cancer. They did a bone scan the very same day, and he had cancer that had spread to his ribs, to his sternum, to his skull. And very soon after that, they figured out what was wrong with him. Um, he had started in his prostate. Now, prostate cancer is very common. A guy might be 75 years old, and prostate cancer is very slow growing, and doctors don't even worry in many cases because they just track the growth of it. And, and if it grows slowly, it's just even long. Tony was about 45. And to have progressive cancer at that age, that's a killer. And this psychologist then said, when she made it more, the doctor said, I'm not going to lie to you. That your hair is over And that's what he decided to do. As to make everything worse, his own father died of lung cancer right after this. So he went up to New Jersey and he buried his father and he told his mother. And then he got back on the turnpike and came back down to Philly. And as he was driving along, he saw a couple of hitchhikers. And he stopped, he stopped just to have somebody to talk to him. But as fate would happen, he had just gotten out of the macrobiotic cooking school. And he might have been going back to my office, but his laundry plan is dying based on that Chinese medicine. And so we were talking about, oh, you're having cancer, okay, all right, you're having a problem, right? So he just wanted to say, he's a doctor. He doesn't need any yin yang long way to make him feel better. But as they're getting out of the car, they cry to his sister, and they send him a book, a couple years later, 67 cents for his tissue. And he reads about And he ends up thinking, what a So he learned how to make a problem. Actually, he didn't learn how to make a problem. He was this pressure. He started getting macrobiotic food from this macrobiotic teaching center. And the other doctors would see what Tony and the physicians dining room with his chopsticks. And he's clinging to life. Except that Tony didn't 
Um, I went to the American Medical Association, which used to be really in the back of what is in the tradition. But they immediately became very timid. And I want to tell you something. That we were, we, the Medical Society of D.C., went to Chicago with a resolution that I wrote, and it said, to a group of health patients and staff and visitors, hospitals, doctors, who plan these meetings, they have to not serve bacon, sausage, jam, hot dog, to anybody. And then they have to call for the This is not a mandate policy. So if you are connected to a hospital, print this out, bring this to them and say, can't we do this here? A generation ago, we stopped smoking. People thought about that. We were right. And now everybody says, why can't a hospital be a place where we teach people things that you know now? We have to really change this. We've got to change this world. The people who need this message the most aren't here. They're 12 years old. They're in school. They're reading chicken nuggets. They're reading strange cheese on the way. And when they get home, their parents give them a frozen pizza with them all day and they think this is good. Or maybe you should get a If I get one, I'm going to pursue the situation. Anybody said I want to get We've got to we've got to tell people with nutrition that we're not everybody. So step one, learn. That's what we're doing. Step two, connect with your networks, whether it's social media, your family, or your uh, people in the audible work, and then share. And when I say share, I'm gonna make noise. Make lots of noise. We can do that now. And I'm convinced that yes, the food industry is tough, but there are a whole lot more worried parents and worried school nurses and principals and other people who aren't addicted to food so much that they don't, aren't willing to share information with us in life. So let's see what we can do. Um, if you would like to, before we leave tonight, I'm going to ask you to join our network. When we have bills in Congress or in other areas of state or public initiatives, I would like you to join us and put your name there. We also have free resources that you can access. I'm going to ask please to do that. Um, because we're going to make some noise today. I want to say a big thank you to the library for allowing me to give this time to you, and thanks to all of you for coming. Thank you so much, Dr. Barnard, for this very, very informational uh, presentation, and just for being here today, um, and for your patience on the train ride over here. Um, you know, like you said, the people that really need this the most are here, but um, hopefully we can all spread the word and um, get family, friends, children, um, to be able to um, take part in eating more nutritious foods. This podcast is a production of the Enoch Pratt Free Library and the Maryland State Library Resource Center. For more information and to access more library resources, please visit prattlibrary.org.